free movie podcast for Christmas office. Oh, already screwed up. Office Christmas party. Jesus. I've never worked in an office, so I'm not sure the order. Yeah, I'm not sure the order these should go in. It's very confusing for me. The movie is Office Christmas Party. I'm going to talk about it with Christian Malinsky. Uh, you guys should just call me Spelling Bee. And with our Office Christmas Party tagline, Kelly Wand. Watching it felt like work. <laughs> what? Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Kelly Wand, I've never been invited to a party either. So, yeah. <laughs> you have more taglines. Kelly Wand, of the people in this podcast, you're the only one who's worked in an office. So yeah, works, I've worked in a few. You're going to be the source material expert in terms of this podcast. It's I work in at offices until they catch on, and then they go, "Wait, that the one gazelle's limping," and then they <laughs> out of there. It's like uh, what other taglines do you have for us that might be appropriate for this movie that we all just saw? Finally, a movie where Jason Bateman stammers. Okay. Fascinating one. Keep going. Finally, go. Oh yeah, go ahead. They're all that good or worse. <laughs> Finally, a movie where Aniston's a horrible boss. I do like that one. I'm glad you made that connection. Uh, is it the same? Okay, this is my last one. Okay. I have to say it a certain way. More like fool snide sneer. Dingus, do you know what he was doing there? Don't. I don't either. Should we ask him to explain it to us? Um, or should we just pretend we got it? Let's just pretend. Is it a T.J. Miller joke? I don't know what it was, but I'm going to feel really dumb if I have to ask Kelly Wan to explain a joke. So let's move on and have Dingus tell us a little bit about Office Christmas Party without spoiling it because there might be some listeners who haven't seen it yet. So Dingus, don't spoil anything. Just give us the basics. All right. This week we saw Office Christmas Party, a 2016 American holiday comedy movie about how good LeBron James was in Trainwreck. It was directed by Josh Gordon and Will Speck and written by Justin Malin, Laura Salon, Dan Mazur, with story credits to John Lucas, Scott Woo-hoo. Moore, Woo-hoo. and Timothy Dowling. Great. I don't know who that one is. All yeah. great team effort, I just want to say. <laughs> really came together. All those different personalities really worked through a lot. You didn't, the strands. You didn't appreciate... Uh, Timothy Dowling. Timothy Dowling wrote Role Models and This Means War. Oh. Uh, this Means War. But he did not write Office Christmas Party, and I think it shows, I just want to say. Neither did John Lucas and Scott Moore. But we'll have more talk of this in a moment. Dingus, is this appropriate for children, this movie? Uh, well, we'll get to that in just a second. I first want to tell you that it stars Olivia Munn, T.J. Miller, Jennifer Aniston, Keith McKinnon, Jillian Bell. Vanessa Bayer, Karan Sony, and Courtney B. Vance, and Jason Bateman. Um, Office Christmas Party is rated R, Tom. Hmm. Why? Like I can imagine. Why would it be rated R? Well, let me let me tell you why it's rated R, according uh-huh. to the MPAA. Uh, Office Christmas Party is rated R for crude sexual content and language. And the and means, I think, that it's also crude language. It's not just any language. So it's crude sexual content and crude language throughout drug use and graphic nudity. 
Kelly Wan, did they miss anything that should be included amongst those warnings? Some legalese. Occasional shots of an office Christmas party. Lackluster suicide attempts. And thematic elements. Thematic elements. Well, yeah. I look forward to hearing more about these. Well, uh, highbrow on us. I didn't realize it was so, such a pandemic. Idiots aren't crazy too. about Office Christmas Party because on CinemaScore, it only got a B, and that is an ouch on CinemaScore. When you get a B on CinemaScore, CinemaScore, everything should get an A if idiots Not like, dumb enough. Yeah. Hey, Kelly, did you say this was a pandemic? Well, it could be. Okay. I've only seen two movies ever. But uh, – on the critical level, uh, well, I guess that's partly what CinemaScore includes. Rotten Tomatoes has this at 43% of the reviews being positive. Ugh. Metacritic has the average rating as being 42. It is number two in America this weekend. It came in behind uh, Moana's third week uh, running. Moana is still number one. Uh, Moana. Office Christmas Party fell a million dollars short. It only made $17 million to Moana's $18 million. Hmm. Oh. So, Kelly Wand, now let's warn the listeners that you are about to synopsize the events of Office Christmas Party, and there will be spoilers. Um, wait, was that you doing it, or now you say, let's do it now, that, then that's what we're going to do? Was that me doing – I do wow. not do the synopsis, Kelly Wand. That is your job on this podcast. No, I mean the no. warning. Uh, that was me warning people that there will be spoilers, yeah, because okay, your synopses tend to be yeah, – they, they tend to go in-depth. That's true. I get a lot of hate mail because of that. These are deep dives into spoilers. Like, man, I didn't know you were going to tell me what happened in the movie before I saw it. Well, that's now going to happen, so just warning people. <laughs> that's what they always say. Uh, Opsis Christmas Party. <laughs> Jason Bateman leaves acting and gets a job as Olivia Munn's reluctant love interest. Olivia Munn's a genius computer programmer and also plays a character in the movie. <laughs> T.J. Miller is the same genetics and age as Jennifer Aniston. Rob Corddry wears a tie. An Indian guy brags to his friends he's married to a stripper, but they don't believe he actually has the money. Kate McKinnon wears funny clothes. She likes rules and parrots, but later we like her car. Since they're the heroes, Bateman and Miller kill some people by knocking over a Christmas tree while trying to shoot each other in a department store with plastic guns that they've been carrying around all day to make their Christmas shopping more cumbersome. The tree wins. Luckily, the store's security guys are off-screen and uninterested. There's only a thousand witnesses, so they run away. Since Bateman's black friend is a fat lady security guard at his company, he points out that her holster's yellow. Jesus rides an elevator, then loses interest. A kid at an airport eats Aniston's luggage, so she calls Santa and tells him to cancel Christmas. This depresses and terrifies the girl, although her belief in Santa didn't dissuade her from stealing. Aniston hires a fat, dumb girl to sit in traffic with her, then drive her to the Christmas party the fat, dumb girl knows all about because she's set up as someone who's perceptive and has a good memory. Kate McKinnon suddenly realizes her characterization is totally different after a DJ makes a crowd yell letters. 
Addiston shows up to cancel the Christmas party, fire everyone, and drag her suitcase around. But Miller tricks her by getting beaten by her. Bateman tricks her by promising he can make a black man like them in only seven hours. Aniston's almost killed by her employees when they push a printer out a window ten stories above her. This momentarily irritates her. T.J. Miller rides a sleigh into a filing cabinet dressed as Santa. Nobody cares. (laughs) Bateman and T.J. Miller are possibly friends. Olivia Munn shows Bateman how to lock themselves out on the roof and freeze to death. As Oblivion approaches, they realize they haven't had sex yet. The fact that Rob Corddry doesn't use restrooms saves them from having sex. (laughs) Although McKinnon doses the black guy with cocaine that makes him scream something incoherent but legally binding right before a suicide attempt, Miller gets credit for the scream, so the soundtrack advises us to be happy at his smile. The black man's suicide attempt is unsuccessful, so everyone pushes a desk out the window in slow motion. Bateman gives some ice, fellatio. He's not just a black man. Stop it. What? It's Courtney B. Vance. Damn you. Oh. Wait, but who plays him? Jonesy. For no particular reason, Aniston announces to everyone present that after she offered Bateman a job, he stared at her blankly in response. (laughs) Everyone gets mad at Bateman for this. T.J. Miller gets so upset, he consumes alcohol. Although she gives a bunch of the Indians' colleagues hand jobs in the bathroom and accepts money for same, and despite their well-founded earlier skepticism, none of them suspect her being a prostitute. <laughs> She's just a weird girlfriend. <laughs> Randall Park gets Fifty Shades Darker on a girl with a nose. That's Courtney B. Vance's Connor. (laughs) A pimp lady character we're supposed to be scared of gets upset at the Indian for getting ripped off by the hooker. So to end the tedious conversation, the hooker tells the pimp to like T.J. Miller. They take him to a bar and listen to him whine and give him tens of thousands of dollars of free cocaine. The prospect of T.J. Miller, their retarded boss, getting in a drunken conversation with a pimp character none of them have ever met causes mass panic among all the characters that were meant to take seriously. (laughs) Now it's a drama. Olivia Munn tells Aniston that if T.J. Miller crosses a pimp, it would be, quote, a bad place for her, Aniston, to be. Aniston rides an elevator, then suddenly realizes her characterization is totally different. So she gets into a car that Jason Bateman is driving, and Kate McKinnon owns. <laughs> Olivia Munn is photographed in the car sitting beside Bateman's character. everything (laughs) I'm just quoting the script Bateman announces that he's going to drive them all off of a bridge to die because T.J. Miller's also doing it (laughs) 
TJ Miller's doing it because as he puts it to his passengers, he quote doesn't want to disappoint them. None of the cars do anything visually interesting. <laughs> to celebrate, everyone in the hospital hugs. Aniston walks on screen and announces that she's fired now, too. Suddenly, Olivia Munn types something. This makes the internet work throughout Chicago, despite a car crash. Everyone dead and unconscious throughout the office building cares that their cell phone is ringing. Aniston says this means the electric company can't fire her anymore. Everyone hugs their phones. The black guy... What's the character's name? Courtney? It's, John, it's Jonesy. John, Seaman Jonesy. Jonesy. Seaman Jonesy. Seaman Jonesy thanks Bateman for drugging him and losing his tooth and announces that he now works for them. <laughs> Aniston shakes her head, smiling at how nothing that happened all night matters. Paul Feig walks on screen and says something dumb a few times. Everyone celebrates the internet. Bateman kisses one of the other actors. The end. <laughs> Kelly, I can verify all those things happened. You did basically just cite bits out of the script. No, I just yes. typed nine. Yeah, I just described what I was seeing during the movie. As I However, it. if you keep rubbing your microphone against your nascent beard or whatever the hell's going on over there, <laughs> I'm going to make you watch this movie three more times. Seriously, Same. what's going on? Are you eating Is that it thing? The beard? I don't know. Oh, yeah. All right. My over and under uh, are basically – I went with a theme. My over and under are movies that I didn't really like but that I enjoyed watching because of either Jason Bateman or Kate McKinnon. Oh, uh, my over is a movie called The Gift where Jason Bateman uh, does a serious performance. There's no con. I mean, he's usually a straight man, but he he plays a very different kind of role, and he's just fascinating watching in that. It wasn't crazy about the movie, but it's great watching him play it straight uh, in a kind of a thriller. Uh, my under is Ghostbusters, which you know we've talked about that. I couldn't take my eyes off Kate McKinnon in that thing, and as a result, I think I kind of enjoyed watching it, even though I didn't care for the movie, and that would characterize my opinion on this. Wait, so you like this more than Ghostbusters? I did, yeah, yeah. I would, yeah. Ghostbusters just, yeah. Uh, well, then let's, give, let's get your over-under, Kelly Wong. That's Wan. tight. I don't know, because then I, I think about Ghostbusters, and I'm like, well, shit. It's a tight one. My over was The Party. Wow, an old Peter Sellers thing, yeah, sure. It kind of jumps the shark, too, but it's got like a lot of funny shit in the first two-thirds. Hmm? So it's that's two thirds more than this movie, and then my under's The Hangover Three. <laughs> that the one where a monkey biting a penis is funny in any language is the only memorable moment. Is that no? That's the second one. That's the second one. We tell me something. To to, yeah, what's something memorable that happened in three? Anything? Tell me. The third one is they go back to Vegas, and John Goodman somehow thinks that they can find that. Asian character you don't like. I have a very serious question. Did we actually do Hangover 3 for this podcast? No. Nope. We did Hangover 2. And then okay. We went, right, so I may have never seen that. What you're describing isn't jogging anything in my memory. Is it possible I've never seen Hangover 3? No. It's the I one know, where... I know you're right. We have not seen Hangover 3. Only Kelly has. Wow, we bailed on it. All right. Okay. Yeah. Each well, Kelly wants actually spoiling it now. Now I don't need to see it. Which part did I spoil? I wasn't even listening. I didn't even know John Goodman was in it. Yeah, John, no. star of uh, Transformers: Age of Extinction, and Ten Cloverfield Lane. 
and Coyote Ugly. Uh, so, all right. What, so, what, wait. What was your? Well, let's talk about his misses too. Three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, wait. What was your question? Cloverfield Three. Which one was that? No. Uh, Ding- oh, Dingus. What are your over and under? For? Oh yeah. Wait. Kelly hasn't this- even told us how he feels about the movie yet. He's just given oh, us. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Kelly. That's a waste of time. We should have done La La Land. What the hell's wrong with you? It's my review. It's terrible. What? Office Christmas Party? Is that what you're asking me about? I think I could sort of infer that from his over-under. Bingus, <laughs> where do you stand? What's a movie that's slightly better than Office Christmas Party but and another movie that's not quite as good as Office Christmas Party? All right, for under – um, uh, my uh, my brack you know, – well, I don't know. Bracketing is really very good on this. Um, uh, my uh, strategy is uh, basically sibling rivalry movies with mm. long party sequences in the middle that make me want to go to the bathroom for a while and then come back later. Um, uh, so under would be uh, Sisters, which uh, I liked quite a bit um, for various reasons, but totally got – uh, derailed by the long, drawn-out party crap going on in the middle of it. Um, and then my over, which would be quite a bit over this, because I think this is a classic in many ways, but it's a good sibling rivalry movie with a weird party sequence in the middle that kind of annoys me. And that would be Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> so the whole sequence in the middle with with the parade and him what doing pa- Shake It Up that's Baby. That's not a party. It's a, it's a city party. What are you talking about? It's yeah, a parade, parade. Kelly, is when a city has a party on one street. Yep. So that's it's a that. block party. Yep. Nope, nope. That's when the party's in the block. In a parade, the, the party is in the street. The city throws it. It's only in the street. If you're indoors, you're not part of the party. I don't think out the window. A parade's just like you watching someone else's party like float by you, and you're on the sidewalk. Float, yeah, get it? It's a, it's a party for – yeah, you spectate the party. You don't get to be part of it. All right. Just like being outside of a building and having to look at which floor is having a party and which floor is vacuuming. So why did we not like this movie more? What what was the deal? What what, what should have been different or better or what what is the movie characters? Not? The writing. Okay. It breaks the Kelly Wan rule of no redemption. Uh, none of these characters just none of the setups pay off. None of these characters are the same at the end. Uh, I hated everything. Wow, Kelly wow. Wan. Okay. I can't man, believe I'm, sisters I'm have funny jokes. No. Really? Oh, oh, man, I, had a, I had a blast watching this thing. I don't think it's any good. I mean, you know, oh. the one person who wrote in was Chris Markinson, and he absolutely hated this. He says mm-hmm. it's a bad movie. And I think it probably is a bad movie, but I had a blast watching it, mainly because when the good people are on screen, like when T.J. Miller is doing his T.J. Miller stuff, and when, uh, and when Olivia Munn is talking... Um, and any number of other people. I mean, I I really liked a lot of the people in this movie and the little things that they were doing here and there. I thought Jennifer Aniston was doing her shtick, just great, her kick-ass shtick. I I, liked, I really liked that. Um, I, I really really liked uh, Katie McKinnon. I thought she was funny whenever she was on. I liked Jillian Bell as far as she went. I love I loved Vanessa Bayer, um, who again who was. Uh, uh, the friend on Trainwreck. Um, I mean, I liked a lot of the people in this movie, and I thought that when when they were when they were in the van or when they were in a scene together, 
they were riffing really well. And the problem is when we have to do extended sequences of random people putting their genitals on copy machines and burning things up, I, I started to lose interest and wanted to leave. <laughs> Kelly Wan, do you know how you can tell that Dingus doesn't watch TV? When he calls Vanessa Bayer uh, the, the friend from Trainwreck. <laughs> what? What else does she in? She's a, Saturday, she's a, been a Saturday Night Live regular for a couple of seasons at oh, least. Right. Right. I, mean, I wouldn't know that either. Well, I, I mean, I know I, I recognize her from that, that thing I love that that um that Christmas song that you know uh, let's do it on my twin bed. I mean I I know I recognized her from that, but I I don't uh, I don't watch Saturday Night Live. The twin bed thing is an awesome song. Sorry. Because you probably made the right call not watching Saturday Night Live. All right. But she's really she's really funny in this movie. And she's uh, you know She's funny on Saturday Night Live, like her and Kate McKinnon are bright spots. Yeah, I love what she does. Yeah. That uh, moment when when the, when she's with Randall Park in that nursery and she goes this is still happening i mean <laughs> that's cute does she say the gilmore girls line too that was kind of funny is she the one where they go she goes you hacked my facebook account you never you those were i don't think no, those, those, those were randoms yeah, yeah those are those are what they call randos mm. Mm. those were better than the like kate mckinnon's character starts out as like the rule like the gene what's her name the one from nine to five that was like the mean the mean girl character but then her car is cool and she's part of the gang i don't like that that's not a selling out what do you mean why is her car i mean that's the kind of car god would drive it's a kia soul isn't it a kia i mean that would they, that's the kind of car god would drive uh she's not as good at, i don't know she's no maya rudolph from sisters that character was really interesting to me the game ah. exists I was I was really curious about her life. Well, as Kate McKinnon's characters, I liked her at the beginning, but by the end, I thought she'd just become like number character number four, and she was just saying things like, "Yeah, this is this is the car, like this is the car God would drive." That's not a funny line. That's not something she would have said at the beginning of the movie. She's saying, uh, you know, she's saying, Kelly wanted to she's saying good writing, writing, good writing, bad writing approves of that line for her for that character. For McKinnon? Uh, I think you're expecting a little bit too much from, from the script of the characters. Uh, the, it gives Kate McKinnon funny lines and sort of a funny angle to come from. And I, I don't stick with it. It's not even about a party. You know, I think it's more that they just came – I don't know that the script as, – as many writers as were on this, I think a lot of them just came up with their lines. I mean, if, if, if T.J. Miller says – Shut the fuck door. I think he just came up with that. I liked when he said Rodeo. But the last yeah, the whole third act is super serious. It's it's like <laughs> oh wait, TG Miller could get hurt. We gotta we gotta settle things down. Wait, Bateman said that? Oh like that's not supposed that's not funny. How is the third act super serious? That's what I'm talking those things I just described. Everyone's like, oh, Bateman didn't say no to the job offer. I don't know that I'd call it super serious, but I agree with Kelly in that the third act is assuming we care about the company. Yeah, we give uh, a shit about these characters. I mean, it's trying to set up this company as, you know, this is the people, but it, that doesn't really work. And who, you know, who cares about Olivia Munn's anywhere technology? Mm. That, uh, like, like the movie's assuming we care that they're, that we're invested in whether or not they're going to get funding and Olivia Munn's uh, special invention is going to work. And we, we don't care. You know, all of that has just been stuff in the background that's there just for the setup and that they also want it to be like the payoff. 
I think is is a big mistake. But that's partly partly what you get in studio. And conference. Aniston and T.J. Miller are friends at the end. And well, that again, it's a studio yeah, comedy. It's going, to, yeah. There's going everything. That's not funny. Well, yeah, it's not funny, but it's what you're going to get when just that's Paramount, lame. Though. When Paramount does this, don't you think it's an overriding joke that the most important thing to these people is that their internet comes back on? Not that there's a it's baby around here or a little kid or any or their, their families are falling apart or that people might be dead. Uh, the, the most important thing is that their phones get internet again. <laughs> But is that a joke, or does the movie know that's a joke? Because the way it, I, it seemed to be played, like that would be awesome, man. Olivia Munn's that smart. This is so great. It's a Christmas miracle. Yeah, that's well, what I was getting from it. It's a straightforward schmaltz, techno schmaltz. And I, as we as that happened, I knew that I pretty much figured that was going to be your take. That it was going to be too it was redemptive so for you. Way too redemptive. If, if, and I hate redemption in a party movie, especially. Like, Project X, at least, was like, well, it was a party. The end. Uh, it could have been like – I think this is sort of a symbol of what's going on with this movie. This is indicative of what this movie's problem is. So we're going to have the car wreck cut off the, the the internet in Chicago, and that's their plot point. Why didn't we also get them ramping over the bridge and then wrecking right. and cutting off I don't get the car? Exactly. I mean the fact is that the movie – it's kind of a metaphor for the movie that it stopped short of ramping over the bridge. It thought we didn't care about that. We instead mm. cared about, ooh, the internet's cut off. Have them ramp over the bridge. That could be yeah. funny. We're enjoying no, this Tom, they could get in the hurt. car. Uh, have them go over the bridge, then wreck the cars and have the internet go out. Like the fact that the movie didn't even – I don't know if it didn't occur to them or if they couldn't afford it for whatever reasons Too they didn't do – they didn't do the stunt that they they promised they were going to do. Basically, we all expected a certain point. Yeah, we're going to see the, the the minivan, and I forgot what the other ones were driving, but we're going to see them ramping over this bridge. Mm-hmm. And the movie lied to us. Like that's what you would expect in a comedy like this. Yeah, uh, but, that, but I think that's the joke. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. Jennifer Anderson taking and saying, "I'm not going to die in a minivan," and breaking the joke. I mean. Yeah, we expect to see that. We've seen it a thousand times, and we've seen it in seven Fast and Furious movies, which is the earlier joke in the movie. And I think her shattering that joke is is kind of what the joke is that they're going for. I don't think it's it's a lack of um, of uh, having any money because they they throw money out the window in this movie. I think that that's the joke. It's that. She breaks the joke. We're no, not going to have the, the Fast and Furious The, the thing bit happen. where that's the joke, where you're talking about breaking the joke, is the car explode, the tanker exploding in 22 Jump Street. That's mm-hmm. where you're self-aware uh, right. of, here's the gag, we're going to play with expectations about the gag, and we're going to let you know that we're aware of your expectations. Right. This movie, I, don't, I think you're giving it way too much credit, and you might yes. be right, I mean, who knows, but there are ways to play with those expectations. 22 Jump Street's exploding tanker is exactly the way to do it. Just having it cut off that scene before we get to that bit, I don't think is as kind of subversive it as you're giving us to credit. like these characters. Because I, I think a lot of the humor, like if you look at the rest of the humor in the movie, it's pretty standard, lowbrow, right. crude, stock stuff. And not to say, like there, there's no sign of other places in the movie where I really feel that it's being that subversive or self-aware, um, or where That's it's playing all- with expectations. Uh, so I. Yeah, I, I like your explanation for it, Dingus, but I'm not sure I'm willing to give it that, that I'm much. I'm not there. buying it, and it's all very arbitrarily distributed, like Bateman's sucking on the ice sculpture. Like, I, I enjoyed that. Are you serious? I thought that was so. Here's the thing. I'm enjoying yes, it. Low brow, 
crude humor doesn't have to be very good to work. Like Bateman giving an ice sculpture a blowjob with eggnog coming out of his mouth. I find that funny. Like I, I enjoyed watching that because it was dumb. And I thought he was going to get his tongue stuck to it, and that was going to be the. Point. That's dumb and dumber, but no, that, yeah, that's uh, that's Christmas story. Mm. Uh, but the thing is, I enjoy like I, I just because they're, they're, it's stupid, crude humor. It's not very self-aware. It's not even very effective. <laughs> but I liked watching these people do these things, without exception. You know, Dingus is singling people out. I think everybody. Uh, I can think of one exception. Everybody in this movie, I enjoyed delivering, watching them deliver their jokes. I loved seeing Abby Lee uh, being a, a recognizable person. She was in Fury Road. She was one of the models in Neon oh, yeah. Demon. She's the, the the prostitute here. I, I loved uh, seeing them roll her out. She's so uh, disturbing I, I, looking. I think I think Neon Demon Uncanny might have Valley. ruined me because when she shows up, I immediately got chills. She definitely has a. a a distinct look to her. It's that dimple too is part of it. She's got like the a character dimple. makes no sense either. But she also but looks like a the... mannequin that's been sort of animated somehow. She's she creeps me out. Mm, watch Fury Road again. You'll be okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. I think Neon Demon more... Neon Demon has probably ruined me for for her. Yeah. 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 Uh, but when she does that adorable little kick at the chastity belt in Fury Road, all will be well again, Dingus. You'll like her again. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, but the, I, I, who's the person you didn't like? Because you know the one person uh, Chris Markinson says is Rob Corddry needs to go away. Oh, see, that's the thing. Is normally I agree with Markinson. If you give me Rob Corddry in small doses amongst other actors, I'm okay with him. Like I didn't even mind him in this. He's doing what Rob Corddry does, but it was cut with enough other comedy that I actually didn't mind him. The person I minded mainly because I didn't know who she was. I didn't know why she was there. I don't know who – I mean obviously someone thought it was funny to have that Uber driver chick saying the word bitches. Yeah. Not share the movie's fondness with this woman uh, who I just kind of thought was the easy – She gets breaking. a callback scene? What? Her, name is, her name is Fortune Why? Feimster, and she uh, was, a, I think, a writer and worked on the Chelsea show. Yeah, she's from Chelsea Lately and the Mindy Project, so she's obviously in these circles. I didn't recognize her, and I didn't particularly think that – She's just she's just weirdly unpleasant. So, and maybe if I'd known who she was, I might have enjoyed that. But but otherwise, I enjoyed everyone. I enjoyed the the black woman security guard. I enjoyed the two guys giving the Indian fellow a hard time about his his girlfriend. Uh, like I, I, no I, I said, I loved watching Jennifer Aniston do this shtick. I I think that Jennifer Aniston is hilariously terrible at establishing chemistry in romantic comedies. So when they cast her like this, I'm like, yeah, you get it. You understand. She's got this kind of icy quality to her. Play with that. Uh, and I, I don't care what Kate McKinnon does. I just, oh, my God, I just so love watching her. Yeah, um, she's going to get close to being treasure quality. In a, in a she years. is for me. She became treasure quality for me the the Saturday night after uh, the the elections. Yeah, right. Fair Did enough. You guys yeah. The cold open for that Saturday Night Live. So Trump had just the been elected. Hallelujah thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Leonard Cohen had just died. So yeah. for their cold open, she just sits at a piano and she does a cover of of Cohen's Hallelujah and said something at the end about you know I'm not quitting and you shouldn't either. It, it's the best thing Saturday Night Live has done in I don't know, twenty That's years. That's not funny either. It's not funny, but I really That's just feel – she, she draws my eye. She's just so present. Uh, even when she's doing the bad skits on Saturday Night Live, uh, 
I love the fact too that she's so openly gay and and is willing to talk about it just without shame, without any sort of flinching or timidness. Um, I just I just yeah, so love crazy about her too. What she yeah. does like she's you know like Amy Schumer and Samantha Bee. They're just some of the smartest, most brilliant, most watchable comics these days. Are these amazingly talented women? And Kate McKinnon is just right there at the top for me these days. And she's just she seems so relaxed. She's so she just seems so comfortable in what she's doing, no matter what she's doing. And um, she's an uptight character like yeah. this, which might be Kelly Wan's issue, is that she's supposed to be uptight, and she's so relaxed into this when she gets up there and does the dancing. And yeah, it's to be the uptight chicks. Oh man, but I loved seeing her do that stuff. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, so even though I didn't care for the movie, I, the, you know, this had what I wanted, and it was to get to watch these actors working um, and doing lowbrow humor, which I enjoyed. Uh, by the way, the the Indian guy you guys keep referring to, his name is Karan so- Soni. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name correctly. I know I've seen him in other stuff. Um, yeah. Mainly, I know him from this uh, this television show called Blood Talk, um, where he uh, uh, has a relationship with uh, Jackie uh, Weaver. Yeah, thank you, Jackie Weaver. Jackie Weaver yeah. Um, and he's re- I think he's really funny. He he's basically playing the same character here, and I really really like him a lot. Did you guys laugh much during this movie? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll see where right, he's right. laughs. I mean, that's not necessarily the mark of a good movie. No, I had I had a I had a great time watching this movie, Kelly. I'm so I'm really sad that you didn't. Uh, but you know, there was that whole middle section again, where I just have to like wade through this stupid party and a bunch of like yelling and people doing stupid stuff, and then finally we get back to the people I like. Anytime T.J. Miller was doing something in a room with other people, I was crazy about it. I mean, I was even crazy alone about doing it. his little doing his little pre-party prayer. You know, just oh, have T.J. talk yeah. to himself. Yeah. yeah, and even. <laughs> Even in the in the outtakes where he's you know talking about being you know having a major in Canadian music with a, a concentration in Rush, I mean anything that, I mean I'm really a big T.J. Miller fan, um, I so, too. but any of that stuff that he was doing, uh, you know it's hard to shop for the bald. Who are they and what do they want? I mean <laughs> it's such a stupid thing to say, but I totally believe it coming out of his mouth that, that that's the character he's playing. You know a lot of gorilla jokes, which I think somebody else says to him because he's doing a gorilla joke when they come off the elevator. I, I mean, I absolutely love that, and I like that Jason Bateman is willing to sort of bounce these jokes off of other people. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I had a, I had a great time with that kind of stuff. See Kelly Wand? Oh my God! <laughs> Wait, so were you worried about his health in the third act when it becomes a car chase? No, I don't. I don't see any of that being weighty at all. I didn't care about any of that. I knew it was a screwball comedy, and I didn't care. I mean, it was like the, it was like the race and or the the whole weird like running through the streets of I think it's San Francisco and what's up, Doc? I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to get killed, and if they had, it would have been super weird. Uh, I mean, I know what, how it's going to play out. It's just the chemistry that I want to see. So when Olivia Munn says, hey, you don't want to lose your brother, too, because you just lost your father. Like, is that line? It's just an excuse so that she can be in the chase scenes. I mean, they had Jennifer yeah. Aniston under contract for a certain number of days of shooting. So, yeah, put her in the car. <laughs> uh, okay. I don't know. It seemed really stitched together and lazy. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm no, not, it's, yeah. So here's what I think is going on. Um, 
the 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 guys credited with the story are John Lucas and Scott Moore, and these guys have been coasting for a long time on the success of the first Hangover. Uh, it did very well, of course. It was at the time it, it was uh, just a, a, a good comedy with with three good leads, uh, given some fun material. Uh, they have then that since then they have kind of been milking this idea of, a, of an, an adventure comedy, where it's a, a compressed period of time, a distinct adventure. It's not situational, right? Like it's not just hey, we're meeting the in-laws, or hey, we're wacky roommates, or hey, it's it, they they make a comedy about a self-contained adventure, like the Hangover. People who know each other. People who know each other, and and I think the best example of this, they wrote it, and I think. They were allowed to direct it as well. I could be mistaken, and I've told this to you guys before. Twenty One and Over is a really good comedy, uh, and it's these guys. I'm pretty sure directing their own material. It is what The Hangover is supposed to be. I think. Uh, so I'm imagining this again is them spinning out the story. Hey, what if it's The Hangover except instead of a bachelor party, it's an office party, and then they hand the, this story over to the guys who wrote Blades of Glory. I think that's one of the. The, the writers uh, who just really, you know, like you said, Kelly Wan stitched together. It just felt lazy. I don't think those writers are nearly as funny as John Lucas and Scott Moore demonstrated they can be in 21 and over. Uh, so I think that's what we got here is an adventure comedy, people who aren't really good at that sort of thing, and a stellar cast. Oh, God. Boy, Blades of, Blades of Glory is a trudge. I watch that because it is those directors, and it is just a pain to watch. My God. Uh, I actually have never seen it. It's just like I a Wolf Ferrell figure skating movie, right? And Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, and it's... it's. It, oh, I have seen it. Oh. You have seen it, because you told me, because it, it was just a bunch of, like, CG skating stuff. And yeah. Amy Poehler and... Um, good Lord, what's the, who's the guy from Arrested Development who's in it? Jason Bateman, uh, Will Arnett. Will uh, Arnett, thank you. Will Arnett, yeah. who plays her brother. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's pretty painful to watch. Um, I remember they getting the jokes. Called, uh, what'd you say? I said, I remember getting some of the jokes. That I, whereas an <laughs> Office Christmas Party, it's one of those movies where I'm like, I don't understand why that's supposed to be funny. A lot. Uh, they also did something called The Switch. Yeah, which isn't bad. Yeah. Uh, it's really not bad, actually. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, again, Jason Bateman sort of doing some of the same stuff. But and, and the uh, switch isn't an adventure comedy, by the way. It's more of a situational thing. Like, hey, here's this girl I really like, and what if she's doing an artificial artificial insemination? And oops, I'm the dad. Like it. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, isn't that that's Jennifer Aniston? Am I mistaken? I know you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And she's uh, she's great in it. I mean, she's doing so sort of the other thing, but she's. Um, she's not doing the horrible boss kind of a thing. Um, That's the thing. She, she, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Did you guys Patrick, see Kate, Patrick Wilson is also in it, by the way. It's weird seeing him play the uh, the guy who gets kicked to the curb kind of a guy. Mm. So Jennifer Aniston was lauded for a movie called Cake. Did either of you see that? I did. No. Yeah. I'm not sure that worked for me. We saw that one where she was the the mall in that prequel to Jackie Brown. What? The mall? The M-O-L-L? last year? Yeah. Or the housewife who gets kidnapped. We're the Millers? (laughs) No, no. We saw it last year. We did a podcast about it. It's like an horror movie. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's cold in July. Not cold in July. Um, 
It's shoot. I know what you're talking right. about, but I can't think of what you're talking about. It was like a week after Cold in July. And <laughs> so somebody and like like Casey Affleck has to do the kidnapping, but it's not Casey Affleck. Yeah, and there's a Samuel Jackson, like his characters in a right, and he put he, they have bags on their heads, but right, and Edison's really good at it. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Oh, right, right. Of course I remember, yeah. She has more range than she gets credit for. And I think that's what annoyed me is she was just playing her horrible boss's character in this. Right. And then I'm supposed to like her. I hated that. I hate when you set up someone I'm supposed to not like in a comedy. Okay, John Larroquette can hug. It's cool. (laughs) He has a heart. Did you say John Larroquette can hug? Yeah, I don't know what movie I'm thinking of. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, Dingus and I might be able to help you if there were any of the jokes you didn't get in Office Christmas Party. So what's one that you didn't get? And I'm pretty sure one of us can help you out here. Uh, when they're on the roof mm-hmm. and then Olivia Munn goes, your wife died. We should have had sex then. And then he's all, I had TSD. I was an idiot. I don't even get that joke. Dingus, I think Kelly Wan saw a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> He was divorced. Not he wasn't a widower. He, he had a divorce. He didn't like it's, when you when your wife dies. That's not a divorce. Um, yeah, it was okay. PC, it was PTSD from divorce. He's trying to make a PTSD joke because he couldn't, you know, he couldn't get together with her at that time. Uh, okay, give us a harder one. Wait, wait. Chris okay. Chris Markinson said they had a fart joke. It too. I mean, that Kate, was oh, a yeah. one line. They had a fart. It was Kate uh, one line in his email. I love that. They had a fart joke. He really did not like this movie, and I can respect that. But I love that he just goes, "They had a fart joke." Um. Okay, well, you understood those jokes, right? When she goes, <laughs> "It's a Kia," I don't get that joke. When she goes, "What?" It's a Kia. When she says it about her car. Well, Kias are are uh, supposedly like dopey. Uh, like a Kia is a is a joke car, right? Like it's the easy punchline for a joke about a car. When the hooker said, "I quit," at the end, I didn't get that. Mm, Why is that, that meant she was no longer going to be a prostitute? Why? Because she was redeemed, Kelly Wand. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, Savannah quit. I didn't. I didn't recall that part. Yeah, she, they're on stretchers in the hospital. She quits. Oh, oh, right. See, that's oh. the joke. All that stuff, that's what it takes to quit being a prostitute. Because they're writing down the hall, and uh, Jillian Bell is saying, all right, we were just doing something normal. We, we just had a right. normal thing that was happening. And then behind her, you know, I'm not. she just says, I quit. And then Jillian Bell's like, you quit what, Savannah? Savannah, what is it you've quit doing? Because she knows she can't say she was a prostitute. <laughs> See, Kelly One, these are all jokes that they're, they're just I don't a get little, that either. They're a little too highbrow for you. Okay, so when he goes, you don't want a piece of this, and then they shoot each other in the department store. That's grown men playing with guns. That's that's inherently funny in any language. Um, okay, I guess everything makes sense. <laughs> Kelly One, why don't you start you know, a podcast called Savannah Says Stupid Shit? <laughs> Did you need that joke explained? That was hilarious. Which uh, part Chris, she's saying it was? Chris Markinson agrees with you that no high-end uh, shopping store has two toy guns with ammo ready for customers to shoot <laughs> at each other. Yeah. Oh, and he also says the cabbie from Deadpool getting work. Oh, so that must have been um, uh, uh, Caronsoni. Was he the cabbie in Deadpool? The Indian dude? Is that right? I, I guess so. so. I'm trying to remember because I know I this. Can't he can't remember his face. Out. Yeah. 
I mean, I just remember, yeah, he's Pakistani. It's funny. Uh, that must, yeah, that's that's probably, yeah, that sounds right. Sure. All right. Uh, Did you really not we... recognize the black dude? Were you just messing with me, Kelly? Courtney Vance. Courtney, Courtney Vance. Beaver. Courtney Vance. Vance. That, don't confuse him with other Courtney Vances. I love that guy so much. And he was. He's, he's he Jonesy from, from uh, Hunt for October. He's hilarious. Oh. The cat? One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between, counting one, two, three, feet apart, not free, getting down with repeat, everybody loves old Dingus, what is this week's 3x3, three three, and why would you not think of the cat in Alien when someone says Jonesy? That makes no sense. It's obviously alien. When someone says Ripley, do you think of that museum where like weird things are are, are showcased? Well, Is alien question. just not a, a factor in your cultural touchstones? Uh, no, um, the Hunt for Red October is more of a classic than Alien, clearly. When someone is named Dallas, do you think of the character actor Dallas Roberts? No, I think of the USS Dallas, which is what Bart Mancuso mm-hmm. is driving. That's his sub's name. What about Parker? When someone says Parker, do you think of uh, uh, that that series about the guy in Vegas, that Dan Ulrich, Ulrich, what was his name? Kelly, I want to help you out here. No, I think of Parker Posey. Ah, right. Very good. Very good. So, all right. So, Dingus, let's – I didn't even bother with puns because they're too easy. Dingus, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? This week's 3x3 three three is your three favorite suitcases in movies. And I wasn't going for briefcases, and I took Pulp Fiction off the table, so I hope none of you relied upon that. Uh, uh, so specific. Oh my god! Because I, I was thinking of trunks. I, mean, I should have. I should have. I should have taken steamer trunks off as well, but oh, I did not. Well, well, you did. Well, I don't think of a steamer trunk as uh, luggage, so. Yeah, I said luggage. What about a live alligator? Sorry, I don't think of it as a suitcase. I do think of it as luggage. I was going to try to weasel in this uh, this movie called Ice Harvest that uh, Harold Ramis directed, where uh, John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton have a body in a steamer trunk. Uh, right. For a, for a movie. But nope, it's not a suitcase, so I couldn't do that one. Instead, I came up with actual suitcases. I love my number one, but the other two, whatever. Uh, let's see. My <laughs> third favorite suitcase in a movie is the one full of money in a shallow grave that their roommate leaves behind after he dies. Ooh, that's a good one. Damn. It's not a briefcase. It's a total suitcase. It's a big old boxy thing. It looks like ancient. Um, But it's a suitcase of money that he has moved in with, and he died and left it behind. And they're like, what do we do with this? And then they fight each other. And that is Shallow Grave, and that's the world's introduction to Danny Boyle and a very young, green Ewan McGregor. Oh man, I just I just watched that uh, a few months ago for something or other we did. Um, that's a great one. I think we're gonna wind up with another suitcase with money in it. Uh, on this suitcases podcast. always have money or bodies in them. From like, I think from a listener based on some based on a based on a gif I saw online. I'm guessing. Okay. Um, but I love that. Damn, Tom, that's a good one. I like that hey, one. See, Kelly Wand, I'm getting praised for my pick. Let's see you top that, Kelly Wand. My number three is from um, the motion picture World War Z. I like where this um, is going. This is multiple suitcases, though. Yeah, yeah, they're on an airplane that's in the air because <laughs> it's a plane. 
and uh, the stewardesses start turning into zombies. And so Brad Pitt sees this happening, and because he's the hero of the movie, and I think he works for the Center for Disease Control or the Navy or something, he's all, guys, I've got it. I have a cool idea. No, pilots, just leave the door open. This is too good an idea. It's even better than closing the door to the cabin. We're going to stack these suitcases, and I'm going to draw these curtains. Wait, the curtains broke. Okay, we'll just stack the suitcases, and then the zombies will, you know, not notice that we're behind him. Well, he also – he peeks through the curtains and is like – you know, the zombies are like running amok in business class or whatever, yeah. and he can look through the curtains like he's like looking through a closed door. It's like the curtains are like a solid obstacle. Yeah. Like the zombies wouldn't know he was peeking through right. curtains. Yeah, because yeah. zombies they can't smell through cloth. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That was, I thought that was really heroic and crafty equally. He did. Thanks, Damon Lindelof. But then now, here's I, can, I might challenge you, just like not a citizen's arrest, but just making sure you're law abiding. Were any of those suitcases, or were they all just like I guess carrier boards are suitcases these days? Carrier One was boards. a purse. Are you from Britain with carrier yeah. boards? It's carrier board luggage. Because uh, I I watched uh, uh, Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant, hoping that there would be useful suitcase scenes. Uh, and there weren't the scenes where he's going through and putting all the carry carry ons into the overhead bins. Yeah. No suitcases, all like little duffel bags and backpacks and oh stuff. Oh my gosh, so really? Didn't get to roll out Larry Gay Renegade Male Flight right. Attendant. See things. what he did there, Kelly? Yeah. Uh, I think it's which movie do you not understand more? Larry Gay Renegade Male Flight Attendant or um, um, shoot, MacGruber? Stewardess School. Which one's more difficult for you to understand? MacGruber is more difficult for me to understand. I can understand Larry Gay. Oh, Kelly, I guess to MacGruber. I guess We're never going to get a MacGruber sequel if Dingus doesn't get on board. What? Who said that? The makers? Un- There's a reason it's not happening, and I, it's the not because it's lack, of, not lack of support from you and me. That's true. I mean, we have this podcast. Yep. But uh, I was going to say, Dingus has a good handle on it. Because the suitcase. See, Dingus, see what you've done? So now, Dingus, you get to give us your third favorite suitcase from a movie. Mm. Just that you should. Yeah. My handle is retractable, Kelly. All right, so um, number three, uh, here's a quote from it. Besides, you know what a careful uh, – no, I'm sorry. Besides, you know what a cautious fellow I am. Hmm. Kelly oh, Wonder. I know what it is. Yeah, go, Kelly Wand. What? It's indie. Yeah, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love his suitcase at the beginning. Uh, when Denim Elliott comes to him after the government dudes have, uh, have talked to him about what the Ark is, Denim Elliott comes to Indy's flat. Um, what are you laughing about? What? What's the guy's name? Denim Elliott. You're making him sound like he's a pair of jeans. Denholm. Denholm Elliott. Denholm Elliott. You don't say Denholm, you say Denim. Denim Elliott. Denim. 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 What, that's, what, that's what jeans are made out of. What do you call it? Denholm. Denholm Elliott? Denholm Elliott is how you say his name. Denim I don't know. That's how it's spelled. Denim Elliott? Is right. it Sherlock. Hems. Never mind. I'll just call him by his character name. Marcus. <laughs> when he goes to – when Marcus comes to Indy's house, I'll just say Marcus. <laughs> Maybe you're right, but I'm not English, so I don't understand these things. <laughs> All right. When Marcus played by Denholm Elliott. <laughs> there you go. Very good. Ah, that's awesome. say, say, say the last name like you're E.T. talking to Henry Thomas. Very good, Dingus. Elliott. Uh, 
Now do Young Frankenstein saying it. (laughs) JK. I can't believe this is happening. Is this really happening? (laughs) Denholm Elliott. Denholm. I'll have some uh, choice uh, pronunciation for you later on for my number two. Anyway, just be lucky I'm not doing number two. Um, Anyway, when uh, Marcus comes to tell Indy that he's going to get to go after the Ark, um, and then Indy's like, oh, man, i got to get packed. And he pulls this great, ginormous, beat-up suitcase out of his closet. I love this suitcase. Uh, And the reason that it resonates for me in my head is, is... because of the line that I just said to you, you know what a cautious fellow I am. And he unwraps the gun that he's taken out of his old desk, and he tosses it into this suitcase, into which he's only put a leather jacket and a whip so far. <laughs> but I, I just love this big suitcase. It looks like it's kind of made out of cardboard and cardboard and and lined with uh, like like red felt. Yeah. Um, and uh, and when he opens it, it has this great noise of the of the latches like snapping open, and he opens it. I, I love that old worn suitcase that looks like it could fall apart at a moment's notice, but you know that this thing has history, and I think it's a great piece of I don't know if you would call it art direction or production design or prop. I guess it's a prop design, um, but just that that him running to the closet and pulling this huge huge suitcase out and really just putting a leather jacket, a whip and a gun into it. <laughs> I, I love that suitcase. And it's got this like sticker on the side of it. Um, yeah. So it's that suitcase. I mean, I really love seeing the way these, this kind of a prop is used in the movie. Do you have a suitcase like that? Like, do you love it so much that you went out looking for one of those suitcases? Uh, I, I certainly did. And, um, no, I don't have that because they just fall apart. I mean, they would be a terrible thing to actually own because uh, the suitcases are made so well now. Or well, they, they have were. wheels now. Su- suitcase technology has come a long way. Yeah, you don't even need the plane anymore. And actually, they're not made that well. They fall apart in a moment's notice. Uh, I have one that looks like Agatha Christie's hat. Agatha Christie wears a hat? No, but if she did, it would be the suitcase. It's like calico. My second favorite suitcase in a movie it's the green this is a perfect movie by the way one of those rare movies that I feel is actually perfect where all the the actors the writer and the director are all just working together immaculately there aren't many of these perfect movies one of them is Toy Story 2 and at the end of Toy Story 2 they are chasing uh, Woody and Jesse and I forget the horse's name and uh, Kelsey Grammer's Stinky Pete character are closed up in a green suitcase because they're going to get flown out to Japan to some toy museum, uh, and everybody has to chase down this green suitcase, and the the villain bundles him up in the suitcase, and they're going to try to stop him before he gets out of the building, but he gets out of the building, and he puts the suitcase in the trunk of a car, and he drives away. What are toys going to do when somebody is driven away? I mean they're normally stuck in a kid's room at a house, uh, and that's where Toy Story 2 really just breaks out of all your expectations, and they get in a car, and they drive it to the airport, and they have a chase scene with all the conveyor belts oh, in the right. airport chasing after this one green suitcase and it's one of the brilliant things that Toy Story 2 keeps doing it's just like raising the stakes like they finally catch up with them out of the suitcase and they get them out and they're on the conveyor belts and you think everything's fine but then Jesse it closes on Jesse just as the suitcase falls away and it goes up in the plane you know they load it up in, a, in an airplane and suddenly they got to get her out of an airplane's luggage bay so Woody goes up in there and he finds the green suitcase and he he opens it and he lets Jesse out 
and they're going to get off the airplane. Everything's going to be fine, and the airplane closes up. Like constantly, things are happening that are well beyond the pale of what these animated toys can get out of, and in the end, they end up having to jump off of an airplane right before it takes off. Um, so all of that, what they're chasing is the green suitcase that they have been locked up in to be shipped off to Japan. So there you go. That is my number two favorite suitcase. Kelly Wan, let's see. It's been a while since uh, I've seen that. Um, Is is it lined with foam and and with cutouts in it? So they even do – Toy Story 2, I mean one of the reasons it's perfect is everything has a payoff. There is not a single wasted moment. Everything has some sort of a callback or it threads into some little plot point. So – when the, it's a foam suitcase, obviously used to ship fragile things, it's got foam lining in it, and it's completely, you know, they're, they're cutouts where they completely just fit in really snugly, and uh, you know, it, it clasps down. And when they chase the suitcase into the room with all the conveyor belts going back and forth and all this luggage, there are two of them. There's a green one that looks just like the other one, so they have to split up. And some of the toys go after one green suitcase, the other toys go after the other green suitcase. The toys who first get to the other green suitcase, they open it, and it's the wrong one. Instead, it has a bunch of camera equipment in it. So you're right, Dingus. It's exactly that kind of suitcase Mm, that would have camera equipment with a foam lining. Now, you might think, okay, that's the end of that bit. Now we cut over to the toys who were chasing the correct suitcase. And they open the correct suitcase, and here's a little fight scene with Buzz Lightyear and Stinky Pete, the Kelsey Grammer doll. And they're having a fight scene. And... Uh, Stinky Pete has the, the upper hand on um, – uh, and he's going to like use his axe and, and basically win the fight. He's taking Woody apart, and it's, it's over. The fight's over. He has won when suddenly he is blinded by flash bulbs, and it's the other toys arriving having brought out the flashes from that, that camera case, and they use it to blind Stinky Pete, and then they throw him into the little girl's backpack, and that's where he ends up. Um, oh, I forgot that. That's a great subversion of that. Flashbulb thing that I've come to hate, and uh, yeah, and it's just you know, Toy Story Two is just working with what it's got, constantly recalling the the little points it makes. It's a, it's a perfect movie. What else do you expect? Yeah, yeah good point. Kelly Wand, how good is the movie from which you chose your second favorite suitcase of all time? Uh, probably about half as good. <laughs> <laughs> My number two is um. From the movie Eraserhead, because there's this scene where the wife, she just gets out of bed because the baby's crying, and she starts, like, tugging at the bed frame for, like, 30 seconds of screen time while he's staring at her, and you're not sure what she's trying to do, and then finally she just pulls out a suitcase and leaves, and it's, like, kind of gray-brown, like, the same color as the baby. Kelly Wand, you're depressing me. What? Let's go back and talk about Toy Story 2. No, I liked it because I was like, oh, it's another cra- – it's something horrible is going to happen because she's reaching under the bed. I definitely remember the scene you're talking about. Yeah, like she's like yanking at something, and you're like, what yeah. is the woman doing? Yeah. And, and you're going, I can't – I'm never going to understand this movie. Like, no, <laughs> Right. And then she pulls out the suitcase. And you go, oh, wait, that's – yeah, so she speaks for all of us. She just wants out. <laughs> Away from the baby's crying. Um, no, but yeah, so that's my second one. Is Razorhead before or after he did Elephant Man? Before. Before. God. 
So that this this random guy, David Lynch, comes out with this crazy movie called Eraserhead just out of nowhere, and people see this thing. Yeah. It's weird. Wait, what do you mean? Why is that weirder? Like if he was saying well, Falcon, man, it had had John a Hurt, it had a famous guy in it, John Hurt. It was a biopic. It was, you know, John Merrick was a real guy. It, of course, you go see that. It's, it's like a, the stuff that movies get made about. You, it might have even been from a play. Is that true? I don't know. Uh, or it became a play. But Eraserhead, like, how does this guy get Eraserhead made and in theaters? That makes yeah. no sense to me. Well, I just remember thinking, or I remember seeing the title before I. I knew anything about it going, oh, I got to see what the movie is that goes with that title. And then does it live up to it? And does it make sense as opposed to Office Christmas Party? <laughs> eraser head doesn't make sense, though, does it or does it? Yeah, because his head becomes an eraser. Oh, ah, OK. I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> that was the per- part that I related to. That's the person. Uh, Jack Nance, is that the guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, weird. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. He's not going to be on the new Twin Peaks show. Jack Nance was in Twin Peaks. What? Oh my god! What a disaster. I don't. I've never uh, watched Twin Peaks. I don't know Twin Peaks. Why would I know that? You didn't watch Twin Peaks? No. Why would I? No, please. I don't watch TV. I thought. You, what? That's all you watch. What are you talking about? Well, back then I didn't. I read books instead. Uh, I actually don't know Twin Peaks at all. Uh, Twin Peaks is the best. Yeah, One of the best shows ever made. It is not. It's weird David Lynch stuff. You it's like coffee and from. you like pie. How can you not like Twin Peaks? I don't like Kyle MacLachlan. I'll tell you that much. He was a terrible Paul Atreides in the Dune movie. Well, he's awesome in this. I mean, well, yeah. but you have to kind of like his droll kind of delivery, and you have to be Stale able to. Cooper. You have to like the way David Lynch even David Lynch acts in, in it. I mean, it's oh man, and Majin Amick. Yeah. I know, right? Oh, okay, and I'm on board. There's a lot of... There's a movie with Machen Emic James Spader where she's super hot. Kelly Wan, it sounds like you might know what this is. Sleepwalkers. Is that true? Is that the name of it? Not sure. I'm just remembering <laughs> a, a movie where I realized who Machen Emic was, and it was something with James Spader. And I don't know if she's like naked she's in it. She's not in the movies. Like, yeah, but she, okay. All right, if she's My in this Twin Peaks case. TV series, then I guess I'll watch it. T.J. Miller had money uh, taped to him in Office Christmas Party, so it's like he was a suitcase. Is that your number one pick? Well, yeah. save it until we get to uh, you because it is time for Dingus's second favorite – no, wait. Do we do this? No, Dingus, your second favorite pod, or podcast. Second favorite suitcase in a movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just right. remembered the rules are correct. Yes. <laughs> Here's a quote from it. Um, what else did you bring? Maybe we can make an inventory. Are you just that's pronouncing it that way because we made fun of you calling Denholm Elliot Denham? No, that's the way he actually says it. He says a number of things weirdly in this movie, and he was not my favorite thing about this movie, but I absolutely love this movie. And this is uh, a quote by uh, an actor named uh, Jared Gilman playing the part of Sam, and this is in the movie called Moonrise Kingdom. And the suitcase in question is um, uh, Susie's uh, suitcase full of books, um, because I love the way that it pays off. It's this hard yellow suitcase that uh, that Sam has to figure out various ways to bring along. He has to figure out a way to, to uh, string it across a river, or a creek, you know, depending, uh, as, as he leads her across that, he has to figure out a way to get it up 
a cliff. And finally, he's like, let's figure out what what our inventory is. And he says it in a weird way. And, and you know, she says, I've got this record player. Uh, you know, she's got her cat in this fishing creel. Um, and then she pops open the suitcase and it's full of the books that she has and that he realizes are from a library. Um, and he asks her if she's stolen them. And, you know, she says, I, I may return them. Uh, but I just love that the, the, the revelation is that she hasn't brought more of these things because it was getting too heavy. And meanwhile, they've been lugging and he's, and, and you see him like carrying them, like, like struggling to carry them up, up a cliff face, like on, with this, this stick across his, his shoulders. Uh, and, and, to, and the, for the payoff to be that the suitcase is full of books, I just think is lovely. But I, I really like that yellow suitcase that she brings along while he has this backpack on his back. Uh, and he's not sure that she's ready for this, uh, journey in the wilderness, you know, because he's with the khaki troops and he understands how to do all this camping. Um, and I just love that she brings a suitcase on this, this adventure. Kara Hayward is kind of like the John Cazale of of our generation when you think of the movies that she's been in. Uh, Moonrise mm-hmm. Kingdom, mm-hmm. Manchester by the Sea. Who's she in that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's kind of what happened last week when uh, we were watching Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I kind of thought about her in this and carrying that suitcase. Uh, can I tell you guys something? That she, Do you ever watch a movie and you're like, oh, that's a good idea. I should do that. And then you do that, and now every time you do that, you think of the movie? Go ahead. Like when I drink like Karen Allen? And exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How does Karen Allen drink? Good. What do you mean? Like <laughs> this, she this like shoots a, a shot back and then she turns the glass over and slams it on the table? Yeah, and then she makes the other guy pass out. And See, the, exactly, the Kelly Wan. Right. Yeah. If I were doing shots – Totally. So uh, Kara Hayward uh, had me getting those little things of yogurt at the supermarket where they're like little bowls and you rip the tinfoil off the top and you eat the yogurt. She did that in Manchester by the Sea and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get me some of that yogurt next time I go to the store. And What's I did. Thing she did? It's good. Wait, she and, just got yogurt and then you got yogurt. Yeah, in Manchester by the Sea, she comes that's out. That's what happened? Yeah, she comes out to sit with her boyfriend at breakfast and she – Pulls out one of those little yogurt things. It's like a bowl, and just peels the tinfoil back and starts eating the yogurt. And I'm like, "Hey, that's, that looks good. I'm going to do <laughs> that's that." That's your example of what you were talking. About. <laughs> Mine would be Paul Sorvino's character in I think it's I think it's Paul Sorvino in Goodfellas when he's uh, when he's um, slicing garlic using a razor blade. I actually tried that. It didn't work out for me because I, I don't think it's worth it. Uh, I think it's a lot more work than it's worth, but it was such an interesting idea. And, and hearing Ray Liotta's voiceover going, uh, it was a it was a good system. See, we've all done that. We've all been influenced deeply by the movies we've seen. Mine is eating a banana like uh, Kevin Spacey and Apex. <laughs> wow, that's way better. <laughs> He's right. Well, he's more involved. He's obviously a highly intelligent alien because he eats it. Mine is barfing up my food like Jeff Goldblum did in The Fly and going, oh, it's gross, isn't it? <laughs> Mine's getting shot like C-3PO and Empire Strikes Back and getting my arm blown off. 
Just kidding. That's not. That's not. That's not, that's not cool. Too soon. Where are we? Is it my favorite suitcase it's time? Your number one, Tom. This All is right. A disaster. <laughs> I should point out, unlike John Cazale, uh, Kara Hayward has been in a terrible movie. She's in this uh, like teen horror movie called The Sisterhood of Night about like tween witches, which is terrible. John Cazale never did a movie like that. Wait. Okay. So the comparison falls. Said, okay, I thought for a moment you were. Like, Wasn't John Cazale like in John Breaking Cazale. Dawn Part Two? Uh, Kelly Wong, can you believe you said that? She's really rude. Taylor Lautner's gonna look like John Cazale in four years. <laughs> That's rude too. I'm the only one on this podcast who gives John Cazale the respect he deserves. Both of you guys, I'm ashamed of you. I'm deeply ashamed. Of you. Yeah, I'm ashamed. So I, let always, me t- I always do the rosary when I'm fishing. By the way. Is that, is that, if that's a Godfather reference, I don't understand most Godfather references. I'm just saying. It's not a rosary. A get him, Kelly Want. Get him. Get him. Hail Mary. What the hell is wrong with you? It's no rosaries. <laughs> Jesus. Which movie are you talking about? Jesus, indeed. Is there a Taylor Lautner rosary scene in Ridiculous Six? <laughs> or Abduction? What's the one where he's a super spy? Is that, I know the one where he's a bike messenger. Oh, the one with Michael Shannon? No, that's Premium Rush. That's Premium just Rush. Levin. There's two you. bicycle messenger movies? Yeah, there's one where Taylor Lautner's a bicycle. Maybe is it a bicycle messenger or parkour? It's some fancy thing where they're running around the city. I think I think it's a bicycle messenger, yeah. Riding a bicycle isn't the same as running. <laughs> it kind of is, except running you don't have wheels. That's it's true. exactly the same. Right. Running it's the same face. motion in your feet. Exactly. On a machine running. See? See? By right. chance, right. it's moving beneath you. Right. Roller, rollerblading is bicycling for feet. Right. <laughs> when did Dingus start coming up with these gems, Kelly Wand? You're allowed to ride a bicycle in a marathon <laughs> because it's the same motion. All right, enough sports talk. I've, I've had it up yeah, here. Yeah, way too much. Let me tell you guys about – my favorite bicycle suitcase. riding. And this, because of this thing, is I like this topic because this is a great suitcase. I, when you said this, I was like, oh, God, I'm just going to think of scenes that happen to have a suitcase in them. Um, actually, that's kind of what this is, too. But this is a great scene, and the suitcase figures prominently in this. So many years ago, like actually 30 years ago, for, no, 20, 1986, 96, 96, 30 years ago, uh, John McNaughton, six. The Dr. Pepper guy? Yeah. Oh, what is it? David McNaughton, isn't that that guy's name? No, it's right John McNaughton. You're right. You're right. Cause no, who's, the Dr. Pepper? Runners up. who's the Dr. Pepper guy? Oh, I don't know. It's David McNaughton, I think. Or he something. played David Paul in Dune. No, he didn't. Play, I dare know. Please. Uh, I would like to see uh, – uh, yeah, that, that guy. Harrison Ford play a Dune character. Is that what you're going to say? Uh, that guy <laughs> in, couldn't handle American Werewolf in London. Who couldn't? Kyle McLaughlin, whatever his name is. Couldn't be a werewolf? Nope, not at all. He got possessed. By what? Uh, Bob. Spoiler alert. Ready? Oh, that's the, that's the demon. And, yeah. See, I know enough about Twin Peaks because I've heard about it. You don't have to see it anymore. No, it's Bob. like a Wizard of Oz. You don't have to see it. People tell you about it. Yeah. Well, anyway, John, Mc, John McNaughton, Kelly Wan, you should know, is the director of Wild Things. Yes. Uh, his first movie was called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. It was uh, Michael. Oh, Schultz. that's my number one. Fuck. Are you serious? Yeah. One we'll two. 
All right. Damn, I thought I was so proud of myself for remembering something. I was too. But it's such an important way Mm. the scene is done. Assuming we're thinking of the same thing. I mean, there's there aren't other suitcases in the movie. Uh, I'm thinking of the last. No, it's the last last. shot. The final shot is. Did you watch that again? Because it's really weird to watch again, isn't it? Well, it's it's a weird combination. I would describe Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer as a crossover between 70s filmmaking and 80s horror movies. Exactly, yeah. Of, yeah. John Hunt was like right there on the cusp, and he had a foot in both uh, areas, in both eras, kind of. Uh, and yeah, it's a difficult watch. Um, but Michael Rooker is just so fascinating. Yeah. Poor girl Tracy Arnold. Like nothing – I don't think she ever did anything after – Portrait of a Serial Killer. I like Otis, too. I like that guy's acting. Well, Tom Tolles, he's, yeah, he's, he, he's like a Rob Zombie. He's horrible. He's like worse than Henry. Like, you go, all right, Henry's got a real Achilles, a real albatross. Yeah, and he's, yeah, and that it, it kind of makes Henry more sympathetic, too. I mean, yeah. the way that character is introduced, yeah. you're, oh, this guy's a jerk, and then you find out, oh, well, I like him better than this other guy, at least. Right. Uh, yeah. So at the end of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is following Michael Rooker as a serial killer, uh, and the early shots do this weird thing where you're just watching him drive along, and John McNaughton will show a really gory shot of a murder victim, and he'll have the sound effects, you know, someone just lying there dead, and he'll have the sound effects of that person's murder kind of playing in the background, uh, and it's basically Henry probably recalling his kills, I guess. Uh, so Henry goes and he takes up with a buddy of his named Otis, who he knew from prison, and Otis has a little sister named Becky, and Henry and Becky start to have feelings for each other, and you start to sympathize more with Henry because Otis turns out to be a reprehensible guy, and he's a jerk to Becky, and Becky obviously likes Henry. Henry is sort of responding to to her care for him and, and how much attention she gives him. Uh, and you kind of end up rooting for the two of them. And eventually, Henry kills Otis, uh, who just gets more and more deplorable. And they go out murdering people, and Otis is just getting so carried away with it uh, that it, he, you know, he's going to kill his own sister. So Henry kills him, saves Becky, and the two of them are supposed to run off together. And they do. And they get in a car, and they drive off together, and Henry tells her in his own weird, stilted way that – He's got some place they can stay, and it sounds ideal, and they're going to send for her daughter. You know, She's a woman who's separated from her child. And they check into a hotel, and the last shot – well, the, the penultimate shot is him saying, okay, it's time to go to bed. And then it cuts to him leaving the hotel in the morning, and he gets in the car, and he drives away. And you're thinking, oh, wait, where, where's, where's Becky? Is he just going to get cigarettes? Why is he alone? What happened? And you're thinking the worst. And sure enough, he pulls the car over and he takes her suitcase out and he throws it by the side of the road and it's got blood on it and he drives away. You know, Henry has killed Becky. Throughout all of this, he can't change. He's incapable of loving anyone and even someone who loves him, he kills her. He's as bad as Otis. You know, we're supposed to be shocked that Otis would kill his own sister. Uh, Henry kills this woman who loved him and who he apparently loved. Uh, and it's this just terrible, bleak 70s ending that John McNaughton puts on this. This just very very uncomfortable movie, and there's something very creepy about the suitcase. I just remember, like it has a lot of bulk in it. Somehow. It's a foldover suitcase too. Yeah. It's a weird looking suitcase, mm-hmm. and you have to. What you're forced to imagine is him packing a body in there. Mm-hmm. You know, after already dealing with Otis and having to dump those bags in the river, um, you have to you have to imagine because it's it's a suit bag. It's it's 
It's a foldover suitcase. It's weird. And you have to imagine him having to take her apart and put her in there. Yeah. Is that the implication? Because I didn't get that. You didn't? You didn't? What did what, what do you mean? Why would she fit in? I don't know. It seems like... like or at least parts of her. It looks like a foldover suitcase to me. I mean, well, yeah, what's weird for me is when he leaves the motel room, he's just carrying like a bowling bag, like a he's just carrying like a little like a like a like a carrying bag or a duffel bag. Head sized. Um, and and then he drives away, and and then he pulls over and he throws that thing out, and it looks like one of those foldover suit bags to me. But maybe maybe I no, no, you're right, it right. is, but it, it's her suitcase, and we've seen her. He's you know he carries his little bowling bag out in her bag when they right. leave. He puts it in the in but the car. But how else is he going to get her in there? Other than taking her apart, why do you not think that he just left the body in the in the motel room? Because the shot go- closes in on the suitcase. Because I think well, she's, to show us that there's to show us that there's blood on it. She's mm. in the suitcase. I think, I think that's the that idea. Too. Yeah, that's what I thought the first time I saw it. Oh, I thought I totally thought that she's in there. Because yeah. when he got rid of Otis, he cut him up and put him in like uh, uh, right so it's garbage bags. Oh, all right. Well, I yeah, just figured she was in that bag. She might be, but I don't know that there's – and I can see why you would think that because that's even more gruesome. Uh, imagine him cutting her up, but I don't know why he wouldn't just – I mean just mechanically why he wouldn't just leave her in yeah. All right. the hotel room. I mean if he's going to cut up a body and then put the parts in a, in a suitcase. He's going to leave evidence in the hotel room. I'm, I'm, I'm way overthinking this. I like your interpretation, Dingus, but I'm not sure that it's there cinematically. Uh, but the well, I think it is body. because of the way they, because of the way McNaughton focuses shot. on it. Yeah. yeah, well, definitely. I mean, it's the final shot of the movie, and, and I how think how heavy it, it is. Yeah, it, it's heavy when he takes it, looks it out. Stuck. I mean, why is he just dropping a suitcase off by the side of the road? I mean, it's heavy because he, he doesn't want. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, why would he leave? Why would he not just leave her luggage there? That's a yeah. good point too. Right. I think it's uh, okay, you guys are sold. Yeah, you guys are make the may, way to make the movie even creepier, jerks. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's really it's more weird. Powerful. Yeah, I didn't understand watching this again because I don't know how you get this movie made with all of this um, uh, this period stuff, all of those cars on the streets and whatnot. How do you get that done? <laughs> Wait, what? I mean. It, it, it is. It does have a feel of a '70s movie, and you know he he's driving well, the 80, Chevy 86, Impala. Right, '86 is not that far from the '70s. Yeah, like, I don't, that's true. I don't, there's nothing to say. Like I don't think it was a period piece. It was actually shot. Okay. You know, I I don't know where John McNaughton shot, but it looks like oh no, Chicago. It's Chicago. Um, but it's definitely like rundown areas of Chicago, and that was one yeah. of the things I was thinking. Is he's got that Impala or whatever it is, and I was thinking, man. Back then in 86, it was not that difficult to be driving around in some awesome 70s muscle car because you know, there, there were plenty of them left over. Uh, it was one of the first NC-17 movies. Yeah, 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 exactly. And watching it too, that aspect ratio kills me. It's a square. Like yeah. he totally shot it. <laughs> oh my god, that just drives me batty now when people do that. Uh, and I the mean, investors after- freaked when he turned it in. They're like, wait, we thought you were making like an exploitation movie that was fun. Oh, and they like he turns in this really serious, gritty, yeah. dark, uncomfortable thing, yeah. and they just wanted some splashy horror movie. They were appalled. Yeah, they thought wow. it was gonna be like Evil Dead or Valentine's Day. Right. Oh God. That's oh exactly. Well, that's what you know. And he made a seventies movie instead. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, that's what? awesome. Yeah. How about when he brings that guitar in to the to the apartment? 
thing is, you're making it sad. I mean, it was yeah. really. It's a really sad movie to watch. Focus it's really, on a really sad. hard movie to watch because it plays kind of like this weird pseudo documentary almost. It's it's just got this weird way that it's cut. I mean, I I love the way that this movie is edited. I absolutely love the way it's edited. But it's really, really. I mean, the opening shot. I mean, Jesus, it's so creepy. It's so creepy to watch. Uh, no Do you guys want mind. me to make? You- let me make you really, really sad. You guys ready for this? Mm-hmm. John McNaughton's last movie. It stars Samantha Morton and Michael Shannon. What? Excited? Yeah. Okay, well, guess what? It's terrible. Oh. It's called The Harvest, and it's kind of like a horror movie about... Uh, it's the one they wanted Henry to be. It's about It's about people caring for a sick kid. And they're dealing with like the whole medical industry, and it's really terrible for them. And do you want me to spoil it for you? Yeah. Well, how long ago are we talking? Uh, last year, I believe. All right. Yeah. No, McNaughton's still around. Uh, so it it turns out like their 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 child is like terminally ill, and it's an it's from the point of view of another child who lives nearby who's coming over to visit the terminally ill kid, and Michael Shannon and uh, Samantha Morton, I think, are the parents of the terminally ill kid, whatever. And what you find out is that their actual kid is kept in the basement. And this kid is someone that they have uh, sort of kidnapped to harvest his organs for the one in the basement. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Kelly Wan, it's not awesome. funny. No, you're, it's not a, it's another comedy. I'm only laughing because I think it sounds like a good business. Right? Way inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But it's terrible. It's clunky, and it just is shot like a TV of the week movie. And uh, yeah. it, to his credit, John McNaughton does not do his own scripts, so he didn't write it. So <laughs> it's not his fault. Maybe it's not his fault that it's terrible. Uh, All right, Kelly. So your number one really was Henry Portrait of a Serial yeah. Killer. Well, Dingus, we're going to put you down for that as well. Can we put you down for that as your favorite suitcase of all time? No, I'm I'm going with something uh, much lighter than that. All right, what do you got for us? All right. Uh, here's a quote from it. I can't wait to hear what Kelly Wan guesses. Uh, I want a big one. Uh, that would be um, All right, Orgasmo, Boogie Nights, uh, Fat Man and Little Boy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I would have expected you to come up with it. A nuclear Damn. bomb is basically just a suitcase for nu- for uh, plutonium. King Kong? Uh, no, it's from a movie called It's a Wonderful Life. Um, <laughs> I know, I, I expected uh, <laughs> from both of you. I didn't say anything, it was all Kelly Wand. Uh, I respect is, old filmmaking. This is my absolute favorite <laughs> suitcase. Um and uh, it it's just beautiful looking. I, all three of the suitcases I chose are because of of what they look like as suitcases. And uh, I get this feeling of of what it would be like to open them and pack them and close them and just the the feel of them. And they all look worn except for the I guess the yellow one from Moonrise, the the Raiders one, and this one. Um, and and you know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. If, Tom, have you ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah, yeah, sure. I I know Grandpa movies. I mean, not very well, right. but I know I know It's a Wonderful Life. All right. So the, the bell, the, the bell gives angel wings, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Is it the one with the giant rabbit that's invisible? <sighs> <laughs> a 
that's that's flowers for Algernon. That heaven can wait. <laughs> Is Star Wars the one with the little wizard boy? All right. So anyway, uh, in It's a Wonderful Life, um, <laughs> this, this character. I don't know if you guys know who this character is. Um, really wants to travel. That's what he wants for his life. Uh, but he's kind of stuck in this small little town of Bedford Falls. Um, and so George Bailey, you know, w- you know, does a number of things that are beautiful things in his life. Uh, one of the things that he does is he basically saves the, his first employer when he's a, when he's a little kid. He works at the drugstore, um, and he saves this other character who is at this moment of exigency and almost kills somebody by sending them poison, basically. Uh, but he saves the guy by refusing to do that. Uh, and later on, when George Bailey is growing up and about to to go off into the world, he goes looking for a suitcase. He goes looking for a bag that he can use for travel. And the guy at the at the place who's you know at the sundry store that sells suitcases and whatnot, you know, he he's got this overnight bag that he's showing to George Bailey, and he's like, oh, it's got this, it's got this feature and that feature. And uh, and Jimmy Stewart is like, no, no, I I need a big one. I need something that I can put stickers from all over the world, from Samarkand and from uh, Bali and from Everywhere in the world that I'm going to visit, I want stickers all over this huge suitcase that I can use to travel the world. And the guy just smiles at him and he pulls this huge old battered bag, but really a sturdy old suitcase. Uh, and he says, like, you mean like this kind of thing? And George Bailey's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. How much is that? And the guy says, it's nothing. It doesn't cost anything. Because the old man that he saved at the at the drugstore bought it for him already, and it has his name on it already. And why is my name already on that thing? Well, because the old man bought it for you. And he opens it. It's got that great thing that old suitcases used to have, where uh, you know, like there's half of it, and then you've got that weird like divider that looks like it's made out of cardboard that you flip back and forth. Um, I love those old suitcases and the way the latches work. Uh, and it's exactly what George Bailey wanted. It is exactly the right thing that he will take on his voyages around the world that he sadly will never go on uh, because that's how It's a Wonderful Life works. But I love I, I love that opening, se- that sequence where where you see um, where you see him say, I want a big one, and there's the freeze where basically uh, God is freezing this this scene so that you can get a, a look at his face so that Clarence the angel can get a look at oh hey he's got a nice face I like George Bailey uh, and then he goes and he takes that suitcase but you know it never pays out but I really love that suitcase and it's a wonderful life if you'd done the voice the right way I would have gotten it I'm not going to do a Jimmy Stewart impression that would be a terrible thing to do it would be terrible I want a big one <laughs> my gosh was that from Toy Story 2? Kind of sounded like Adam Sandler. <laughs> this story is about Philadelphia. Yeah, you need to work on yours too, Kelly Wand. Oh. This right, airport 77. I'm good God watching that movie again. I just I I I fall I fall apart watching that movie every single time. I know it's a totally schmaltzy movie, especially this time of year to watch it. But, man, I fall apart every time I'm watching that movie. I'm sure that most of our 80-year-old listeners do as well, Dingus. <sighs> oh, they're all so good in it. They're all so good. 
I have vertigo. <laughs> I like girls with red hair. <laughs> I shot Liberty Valance. I broke my leg and all I can do is look out of this back window. Uh, I ride what? again. I don't know that one. Did anybody shoot Liberate Liberty Valance? Let's keep uh, going. They want that one. Jesus. Yeah. Right. This is a disaster. All right, so Paul Weimer writes, Hi, guys. I hope to pack this 3x3 submission with entries that you will check in or carry on with. Oh, good. Number three, in space balls. Oh, my God. The enormous <laughs> and practically large luggage that Princess Vespa, Daphne uh. Zuniga, uh, or Daphne Zinga, as he says, um, takes with her from their crash landing contains an even more impractical oversized hairdryer. I can't live without it. Paul Weimer's number two in the Truman Show as Truman Burbank, Jim Carrey, a possible runner-up for last week's Weimer 3, goes to travel agent to try and escape Sea Haven. He's wearing a Scottish cap and has a suitcase with the same distinctive plaid design. He pats the suitcase as he tells the travel agent he's ready to leave for Fiji today. And yeah. Paul's number one. Will this one get me in 3x3 three three jail? The beautiful, ornate, handcrafted, and huge steamer trunks in Joe versus the Volcano. That's what uh, I was going to – when you were talking about your grandpa movie, I was thinking, oh, they got that from Joe versus the Volcano. That uh, scene. I've never seen that movie, so I don't know. You're going to have to – the same thing. Here. He goes in. It's like I, I want a big one. Like he's getting luggage for his world travel, and the guy's mysteriously like, "Oh, we have the perfect thing for you. Look here." And he shows him like these magical steamer trunks that save his life. All right. Does this work as suitcases? You're gonna have to tell me because I've never seen. No, no, movie. of course not. Because we can't. If I can't use Ice Harvest with Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack in that steamer trunk, Paul Cusack. I mean, uh, Paul Cusack. <laughs> Paul Weimer can't use uh, Joe versus the volcano. You wouldn't so, put a suit in it. Get, are the steamer trunks big enough just to pack Paul in them, one of them? Yeah, they're huge. They're right. enormous. So you're going in a steamer trunk. Sorry, Paul. <gasps> oh, my God. That's – wow. That's brutal. This yeah, is this like just, Papillon over here. It's got dark. Um, Grant Stewart, my three goes like this. Number three, Magic Mike. Um, I mean <laughs> hmm. – that's really good. When Alex, My female friends. When Alex Pettifer's sister finds his suitcase full of thongs and sailor outfits, she goes to try and coax him out of the closet. Cody Horn. Woo! <laughs> Isn't that who that is that he's talking about? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, Grant Stewart's number two. Uh, true story. The opening scene is of various toys and things that would comfort a child falling into a, falling into a suitcase. I didn't know the story of Christian Longo. But as soon as I saw the scene, I knew where it was going. I don't remember this. All right. I'll take your word for it, Grant. Uh, and Grant Stewart's number one, Shallow Grave. I kind of wanted to avoid a suitcase full of cash as a MacGuffin, but I just couldn't resist. This movie came out when I was about 15 and was filmed in a friend's house in Edinburgh and has always been kind of memorable for me. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. It was filmed at a friend's house. That's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. If he means the main house where the all the action takes place, yeah. the apartment. And a good friend. That's really cool, actually. All right. Uh, we have Chris Braley next. Or Brawley. Sorry, Chris Brawley. Uh, I'm not going to bore everyone with my analysis or explanation about a suitcase in a movie, but the three movies that came to mind have a common theme 
beyond that they all have memorable moments with luggage. Someone mentioned them, at least one of or more of these. Number three, Moonrise Kingdom. Number two, Darjeeling Limited. Number one, oh. Royal Tenenbaums. Darjeeling Limited, that's an awesome pick. What's the Royal Tenenbaum suitcase scene? Royal Tenenbaums, I think, is when he's just gotten back from the voyage and all of his suitcases are behind him when she gets off the bus. Uh. You remember, like, that that picture of him, like, sitting there waiting for her? She gets off the bus and all of his suitcases are lined up behind him. I I remember the scene, but I'm not remembering the suitcases. I guess because I'm... I'm still staggered just, by what a great pick Darjeeling Limited is. Where Darjeeling Limited is great. It's just that it's all. I mean, it's so much. There, there's so many bags. I, I assume he's talking about the where they're where they're shedding everything to get on that final yeah, train. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the, you can't get on the train if you bring your baggage. It's a it's a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, and it's all their dad's. It's their dad's baggage. It's literally their dad's luggage that they've brought with them on the trip, right? Remember, Dingus, how much you and I are really over Doug Benson's podcast? Like, he's got this podcast called Doug Loves Movies, where he has great comics on, and they talk about movies, and the comics are hilarious. But you and I, Dingus, have increasingly lost patience with uh, Doug Benson. He's like a worst case scenario of a stoner. Kelly, one your best case scenario. Doug what? Benson would be the other end of the scale. Exactly. Right. Did you hear Doug Benson characterizing the moment where Adrian Brody sees the little kids? Oh, in- Jesus, Tom, don't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that made me want. That's like, oh my, uh, what movie? It's an awesome moment, and you didn't even, you were too stoned to even remember what made it so cool. If you didn't even understand what the actual line was. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, look at those assholes. Yeah, he just, uh, all right. Yep. Yeah, I'm with. Well, fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Wan, are you with us? Yeah, are you with us, Kelly Wan, in terms of losing patience with Doug Benson? Mm, I think it's funny when people misremember dumb shit. <laughs> but it's not dumb shit. It's such, a, it's such an important, poignant, powerful moment in Darjeeling Limited. And they don't save the kids, too, which I think Doug Benson even characterizes. Yeah, and then they save the kids. Yeah. The whole point of that mo- point of that scene is they don't save the kids. If the kids die, and they have to bring their bodies to the village where Irfan Khan has, has the funeral, and they're there for that. Like It's no, like he, Doug Benson walked out of the movie he, at that point. He's like, I couldn't save mine. I mean, oh right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Right, and it's his funeral. It's hugely yep. poignant that he couldn't save his. But look at those. I mean, <sighs> Doug Benson conflated. Uh, he thought in Princess Bride, instead of saying "as you wish," she said, "That'll do, pig." I know he said. That. <laughs> so that was. That's funny. a funny joke, Kelly. On your That's best case scenario. Yeah. So it's if you mix things up, sometimes it's kind of cute. Uh, so I love that Darjeeling Limited pick mainly because it's the father's luggage and they leave it behind in such a great little, you know, symbolic gesture or metaphorical gesture. Um, so anyway, uh, Chris Brawley says, thanks, guys. Love the show. Um, uh, next, we have Colton W. Westright. It took me a while to unpack my thoughts on this topic, but I finally built a case for a couple picks. Good. Um, well done, Colton Westrate. The second pun. The first one, way too obvious. Yeah. Number two from Colton at the end of rush hour. <laughs> Those are words you don't hear very often. <laughs> I've only seen the third one. A suitcase filled with cash is weaponized against Jackie Chan high in the rafters of a museum. Predictably, and much to the delight of Chris Tucker below, it does not stay filled with cash for long. Uh, see? Colton W. Westrate's number one. Chekhov's case is, here's a quote from it. 
There's a custom-fitted foam insulation you'll be riding in, Bullseye. Sweet. Toy Story 2, I win. First class all the way. Bullseye? Bullseye's the horse. Oh, Bullseye. Very good. Uh, I wish I could pick uh, Jerry the Toy Cleaner's amazing portable workshop for this this week's topic. That's a tackle box. It unfolds like a tackle box, but doesn't it just kind of look like a normal satchel and you discover, ooh, it's got all these secret compartments and stuff? Maybe you're, maybe you're right. I and if I'm not it. mistaken, that that also is from if I isn't that an extension of a bit that Pixar did in one of their shorts, where the guy has a yeah. box and it unpacks and he's some wizened old man with all these delicate tools. Uh, I think that guy is basically imported from one of their shorts. Uh, oh, okay. He's been in, right about shorted. I love the attention detail on that, but it for in my memory I haven't seen Toy Story two in a while, but it it plays out like a tackle box in my mind, but I think you're right about it being a satchel. Well no, it's definitely that's the idea, is that it just looks like a a little satchel and it's got all these compartments that fold out and these trays and it's totally like something you would take fishing, but it's not it's it, it's deceptive. Like you only discover that it's got all these little secret fold out things as he's unpacking it. Yeah. Is Toy um, Story that movie with uh, Jonah Hill and James Franco? <sighs> Actually, you know what, Kelly? I acted exasperated, but that was a good one. You yeah, could have done great more obvious movie. ones. I'm okay with that. See? Stoner Extreme. Right. The movie's true story, and you meant, yeah. You could have done the far The triple X of stoners. Um, so, Kelton says, clearly it's a <laughs> toolbox and not a suitcase. So, uh, we've got another uh, topic on the horizon, toolboxes. Uh, oh, my guys- favorite... You scooped me. This was what today's was going to be. Are the ones designed to transport the Roundup gang to Tokyo. Maybe it's just because I grew up to become a packaging nerd. Wow, that's, I would like to unpack that. Uh, I grew up to become a packaging nerd, but I love that Pixar gave that level of detail to little things. So you can't rush art. Um, Jaime Cabrera has two picks. Two hey, Jaime, cases. welcome back. We haven't heard from him in a while, I don't yeah. think. Uh, number two, space balls. No, not the one with the stupid combination. One, two, three, four, five. The luggage the princess takes with her when they land on the desert planet. They open one of them to see what she's carrying, and there's a giant hairdryer one. Number one, Joe versus the volcano. By far the best suitcases you will find. They not saved suitcases. Joe's life twice. Not so How do they save his life? I don't know. Because when uh, when the ship like when when they get thrown into the ocean. Uh, the, these things are like so sturdy they float and they make a raft out of them. Oh, all he right. He ties them together and he makes a boat and it saves him and Meg Ryan and they float around on the boat. Right, Kelly? Am I rem- remembering correctly? I think so. Yeah. Uh, Wait, th- what? Thanks, guys. Love the podcast timing. By the way, uh, isn't that from Moby Dick? Does it? Does it like uh, Starbucks? Like hair dryer? Oh, Kelly won't. Sorry, <laughs> Starbucks. Uh, she's an angel. <laughs> no. Uh, what? On coffins, like, doesn't, doesn't he survive based on coffins in the water? Like he he rides coffins. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Like and, and Joe, no, and Joe <laughs> rides these uh these traveling luggage steamer trunks. Oh, that's true. And one of them, Meg Ryan. Carried. But thing is, yeah, throw him in jail because it's a it's a steamer trunk, not not a suitcase. Me? All right, sorry, no, I'm they, gonna have to. I'm not putting you in jail. They they go in the steamer trunk. Ouch, oh. man. That's a serious punishment. Yeah, you're gonna be in there with uh, with the dude from Buried. Who's that? 
Ryan Reynolds, Ryan, the yeah, dude yeah. from Married. I think it's hated Deadpool so much that he refuses to say Ryan Reynolds' name anymore. <laughs> Next we have Arthur Giovanni. Kelly, would you like to do it? I thought you almost had it. And I, I almost did, but I just I just stumbled over it. Sorry, Arthur. Arthur. Giovanni and Jelly. Giovanni and Jelly. Giovanni and Jelly. I think this is a clear case of a topic not suiting me. Mm. Ooh. Like you. That's quite a case he's made. Yeah. Number three, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Tell you what, it could be worse. It could be some anime thing that we're making. It could be Fantastic movie. Beasts. <laughs> In Edge of Tomorrow's <laughs> Land, uh, Cholo Kalamani. I'm sorry. Uh, so, anyway, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. When Harry first travels to Hogwarts, he has a suitcase that is about as big as he is. It's funny seeing him push it through the wall at platform nine and three quarters. I thought that was John Malkovich's. Uh, do you say nine floor. and three quarters or nine and three fourths? How do they say it in Harry Potter world? Do you know? Are you asking me? I don't know. I'm asking asking either of you. I, I don't know how do you say nine. You think that I either watched the Harry Potter movie or read the book? Please. All right. I really want to that. Though. I read Kelly up wanted... until the uh, the fourth one, which was. Uh, Prisoner of Alcatraz, but I don't know how you say how you would say in the platform nine and three fourths. I don't get that joke either. That's another joke I don't get. Uh, Arthur's number two, the Darjeeling Limited, mm. it's a suitcase that is part of the luggage set that Adrian Brody carries with him. Pretty sure it's from the brother's late father and has his initials on it. But I'm not sure if I remember correctly. The suitcase might also get left behind at the end, but who knows? I really need to rewatch this. I will walk myself to jail if I messed up. Arthur, I'm afraid uh, I, I really like that you broke it down. Uh, the whole the whole case of luggage is the father's luggage. That's kind of the point. And they all leave it behind when they're running for the final train. Uh, but I like that you break it down. So Arthur's number one, up in the air. Oh, Hmm. Up in the air. Hmm. Oh, what's his pick? Uh, the suitcase that Anna Kendrick brings to the airport. <laughs> that's right. Okay. That's funny. All right. That's funny. The, uh, the suitcase that Anna Kendrick brings to the airport with before her business trip with George Clooney is large and totally inappropriate for travel, and Clooney's amusing reaction is to make her buy a better one. <laughs> Do you remember her tacking along that sad suitcase and him making her repack it and, like, throwing away her pillows and whatnot? I do not, but that makes me want to watch <laughs> Up in the Air again. Yeah, he, he uh, yeah, he, like, he's tossing, like, stuff that she doesn't need out of it, and he's explaining to her why having carry-ons is so important and why how much time she's going to waste matters. She's like, well, you know, you go ahead. I'll meet you at the gate. He's like, look, this is how much time I spend traveling all the time. And this is how much time you're going to spend going through security and and checking bags. Do you really mm -hmm. want to spend that much of your life doing this? Um, I like that. I like that sad suitcase she's dragging along. <laughs> this is a good one, Arthur. Um, it also had a body in it. Uh, Chris Markinson's. Hey guys, here's some suitcase that I like. Number three, Bound. All right, this is the one I was hoping would show up. Thank you, Chris. Um, I, I just want to say that Chris Markinson has started doing these wonderful gifts 
in our gift thread on uh, quarter three. Uh, he started making them, and I was almost sure he did a bound gift earlier in the week. Uh, the black suitcase, which holds the $2 million that Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly planned to steal from Pantoliano. Number two for Chris Markinson, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, the almost mustard yellow suitcase that uh, Kara Hayward's character brings with her. Great. And number one, the handmaiden. Rather than one suitcase, these are the... <laughs> These are the three suitcases that Tsuki stacks on top of one another to help Lady Hideko over the rock wall. <laughs> Thanks, guys, Chris. Uh, right, right. That's good. Do you guys have any uh, uh, rooms up? Couldn't find any good ones in uh, Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant, so I got nothing. Uh, I had Old Boy. Oh. Is that, oh, that's a yeah, steamer trunk. Is it a steamer trunk? What? What's that? Oh, when he he crawls out of one, like in the yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Kelly Wan, uh, Dingus throw, throw Kelly Wand in a steamer trunk. Oh. Yeah. Oh well. I'm trying oh. to think of other like movies where somebody gets packed into a suitcase. I thought that would be the case with Ocean's Eleven, but it's not. The Chinese acrobat gets put into something. Far different. I thought he was put into a suitcase for a minute, but I was wrong. So no, I don't have anything else. Urban legend. All, All right, right, you guys ready for next week? Three by three. Oh yeah. <laughs> this one was very specific. We did this week. Now let's do a more general one. Mm. Uh, I want your favorite trios from movies. Mm. That's it. Just trios, like we saw uh, in Office Christmas Party. You could think of Jason Bateman, Olivia Munn, and T.J. Miller as a trio, for instance. Lots of movies have trios. Why are you going what, Kelly Wan? Are they not a trio? They were a quartet because Aniston was there and McKinnon. And, no, they had like guest players, but the core band of them was, was just the three of them. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so um, how do you spell yes. – I, I never know how to spell the word trios. Do you have an apostrophe? You uh, right? No. Why, no, that would, if it belonged to the trio, you would. So it just looks like trios? Yeah. I hate spelling. What? Trios isn't a word. Why does it? It looks like something that's not a word. You're saying? Too no, loud. I just hate spelling. <laughs> you hate spelling. Thing is, who played uh, Ash in Alien? What? Ian Holm. Who played Ash in Alien? Say it again. Isn't it? Jeez. Oh, Denim Elliot. No, but who played Ash in Alien? What was Macaulay Culkin's biggest movie? Are we talking about Ian Holm? See? Ian Holm, Elliot, Ian Holm. That's what who I was said, thinking. I don't know. Who said, get what's in your hand out of my face? <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Sherlock Windmill. <laughs> uh, you might be right. Like, maybe, because, uh, what, what was the other one that, whose character that did we, we kept saying his name wrong. Shoot. Be more specific. It was someone like Killian Murphy or someone who had like an Irish name and we kept screwing it up or Brendan Gleeson or oh, something like that. Oh, the dude um, – Oh, oh, from, from Revenant and Star Wars. From Revenant and Star Wars, the guy uh, oh. who's Brendan Gleeson's son. What is his name? He was, he was the guy – we loved him in Revenant. He was like the commander guy and he was Jackie? the evil – No. No, not he that was, guy. He was in that time travel thing where he 
kisses a girl and goes in the closet and travels through time. Well, we kept saying that guy's name wrong. Uh, from Ex Machina. Come on, you guys, work with me. What's I his name? You, I thought you were Red talking man. about uh, Karen Hines for a second. No, no, no. That was yeah. Everybody has a problem with that. Come on, the guy who I can't it, even it, think of his name. It's, it's either Don. We, we were saying Donald. Dom. Right, right, but it's a Donald. You just say Donald. Donald but it looks yeah. like Domin Hall. So you might be right, Dingus, uh, in terms of Denim Elliot. It's the like, male it looks like Den Holm, but maybe it is Denim, because Domin Hall is Donald, we found out. Right. So, Kelly, one, the point being, maybe Dingus is right. And, we're and it's not Condolm. <laughs> so. What is that you're saying? I don't know. <laughs> All right, so if you have a trio that you would like us to read. Live on the air in next Good week's trio. podcast. Send it to appropriate for a trio. Three x three at quarter to three dot com. Uh, and you don't have to send us three trios. It doesn't have to be nine different characters. You could just send us one trio if you wanted. Send us two. Don't send us four though. You got to share. Give other people time. Uh, so send a max of your three favorite trios to three x three at quarter to three dot com, uh, and we'll read them on the air. We'll also see Rogue One, Ugh. a Star Wars story. <laughs> what? That's what it's called, Dingus. I believe. I already know this story. It's called Give me a, a new Star story. Wars story. Yeah, that's how they're selling these like spin-off movies. Is like something, something. Colin, Star Wars. It was Wars from story. the Adventures of Luke Skywalker. Like the early Star Wars said that on the on like the books. Like, Adventures of Luke Skywalker. Like he. Kelly, you think we read Star Wars books? Yeah. Please. What? He's blue five in the book. What? That makes no sense. He's red five. <laughs> blue five is a terrible name for a member of a squadron. Yeah, that's something. why they changed it, I guess. Yeah. Like something you get on the street. We'll fix and post. So, all right, next week, Rogue One, if you see it, send us also some comments about that. What did you think? You've been waiting a long time for it. You're super excited, right? You're going to be there Thursday night at midnight for a screening. So dash us off a little email about what you thought of Rogue One, also 3x3 at quarter3.com. Uh, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll also talk about our favorite trios and movies. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Felicity Jones awakens my dark side. <laughs> my apartment one night and I'll show you a real man. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! I can see, uh, I'm glad that Vin Diesel's back with Triple X again. Aren't you, Dingus? Vin Diesel? You know your mind's like a drunk baby.